Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church. This week's message comes from our hashtag relationship goals series. Relationships drive our lives. Every relationship we have is an opportunity to become the person God wants us to be. Throughout this series, we will explore the relationship goals that God wants us to have throughout our friendships, dating relationships, and marriages. Now let's get ready to hear a word from God today. Hey, I want to welcome you guys here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. We're so excited that you're worshiping with us today. We're in week three of our series, hashtag relationship goals, and I'm ready to jump in. So last week, actually the first week, we made a huge leap in our relationship goals because we said if we are going to get our relationships right, friendship, dating, marriage, it has to start with us unselfieing ourselves. And so many of you for the last three weeks, that's been the one goal that you've worked on, right? You've just... constantly went around saying, I need to refresh others instead of always expecting myself to be refreshed. And in doing so, you have been refreshed. And so that's really awesome. Last week, we talked about hashtag dating. And uh, it was really awesome because when we talked about dating last week, we basically said, God doesn't want us to spend our life trying to find the right person. He wants to spend our life trying to become the right person. And it's always interesting because when you talk about dating immediately after the service, people begin asking me questions about, well, what about this scenario? What about that scenario? And what I realized is people were trying to take dating goals and apply them to marriage goals, or they were trying to take friendship goals and apply them to a dating goal. And so what I want to talk about today kind of fits with that issue, okay? The idea that sometimes we put the wrong status with the wrong goal. You see, here's the truth. Every relationship in life has a status, right? Everyone in this room is either married or single. If you're married, LaGrange Noonan, raise your hand, okay? Raise your hand right now if you're married. If you're single, raise your hand, okay? That's good. Listen, one-third of our congregation is single. Actually, almost 40% of our church is single, and so that's awesome. Listen, if you didn't raise your hand at married or single, you're dead, okay? Because you're one of those two statuses. But every relationship in life has a relationship status. And believe it or not, our relationship status should define our relationship goals. But here's what happens many times. We, when we attempt when we attempt to apply the wrong relationship status to our goals, look what it says here. We apply the same relationship status to goals to a different relationship status, we get issues. So here's what people do. They take the goal and they take it out of the context of the status and they try to apply it to a different relationship. So the crazy thing about that is this. We have people that are constantly saying, well, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not having my relationship goals met. And and the truth is you're applying the wrong things. And the truth is when you try to apply dating goals to a a marriage status, you're going to have issues. And those issues are going to come up over and over and over again. So here's the challenge. Here's the struggle. Single people want to play like they're married, and married people sometimes want to play like they're single. You go, wow, I never thought about that. But think about it. I mean, look at social media, right? Like you meet people who are married, and you're like, wow, you have relationship goals, but but your status is married, but your goals are like you're dating, And then your dating goals act as if like you're married. And and what we don't realize is that, man, that kind of messes things up. In fact, I want to say this. Changing my relationship status won't fix my relationship issues. 
Because we live in a world that says, well, if I was just married, I wouldn't have these relationship issues. Or if you're married, you say, well, if I was just single, I wouldn't have these relationship issues. But changing my relationship status will not fix my relationship issues. So today, I want to continue in our series. I want to talk about hashtag relationship myths. Relationship myths. And I want to talk to married couples and I want to talk to people who are single. And so sometimes when you do a talk like this, people go, oh, you always pick on the single people first. So I want to pick on the married people first. And then I want to give some myths that we believe about marriage. In fact, I want to give you three. And then I want to give you three myths that people believe about singleness. Because if we don't address these, uh, they're going to creep up and they're going to create issues in our life. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As you're turning over there, let me kind of give you the, the, the back story, okay? Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And in this letter, you've got to understand the church at Corinth. They were like the church of Jerry Springer, okay? Y'all ever watch the Jerry Springer show? Like there's some weird relationship issues there. Like people go on and they go, I've married my third cousin for the fourth time. And you know, you're going, bro, there's something wrong there, okay? Corinth had the same type of weird relationship issues that uh, like you would see on the Jerry Springer. In fact, people were living, they were in the church, but people were living in immorality. People were lying to each other. They were suing each other. Um, As their relationships won, they were constantly ripping each other off relationally, which we talked about that last week. God doesn't want us to rip each other off. And in the midst of this, Paul writes them a letter because they had written him a letter with questions. So the church is like, hey, Paul, what do we do when these issues come up? And what's crazy is he's basically in chapter 7, he's just responding to their question. Now, here's the crazy thing. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with the relationship issue of incest. Some of you go, is that in the Bible? Yeah. Paul basically says, hey, there's some of you who are in the church and your relationship issue is you're in bad incest relationships. And people are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then in chapter six, Paul turns around and says, and then some of you in the church, you're hooking up with prostitutes. And so your struggle relationally is that, you know, you're you're doing these things. And then he gets around to chapter seven and he talks about singleness and marriage. And he gives us some things that that we need to see. So I want to begin with three myths about marriage. Okay, if you have a pen, write this first myth down. This is a marriage myth. God's standard for sex and marriage is limiting. Now, some of you are excited already because you just heard that for the next couple minutes, we're going to talk about sex, okay? Like, it's funny, like when you just mentioned the word sex, people just go, oh, I'm awake. Like, I feel like God spoke to me, okay? But uh, when it comes to marriage, there's this myth that if I choose to live by God's standard in marriage for sex, that it's going to become limiting in my life. So look what he says to him in verse one and two. Chapter seven, he says, now for the matters you wrote about, in other words, you guys asked me these questions, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now it's at that point that the world looks at us and says, I totally get it. Now I understand why you Christians are so angry all the time. You're not having any sex right? I mean, that's the world's viewpoint of us in the church, that the reason we talk against sex sometimes is because we're not for sex. So I want to give you guys this deep, amazing theological revelation to you today, okay? God created sex. Can I get an amen? Some of you go, he did? 
okay? He did, he created it. And so the the world kind of has the standard. And here's the thing Paul's saying. There's a right way for us to approach sex. There's a right way. In fact, God has a sexual standard. And he gives us the standard in chapter or chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And basically what he says is, I want to talk to single people and married people. And here's what he says. Hey, single people, it's good to not have sex. Some of you go, oh my gosh, last week you talked about dating, you talked about sex, you talked about hooking up before marriage, and you related it to Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday, right? And you said, hey, God didn't say no, God said wait, right? Because Chick-fil-A is going to be open on Monday. Listen, it's okay if you're single in this room not to be having sex. That's what Paul said. He says it's good for us to stay away from that. And I just want to tell you, Chick-fil-A is open on Monday. I saw some of you this week on Monday. You were rushing to Chick-fil-A because I preached about it on Sunday and I got some thank yous for some Chick-fil-A corporate people like, thank you, Sean. Okay, but the truth is this, God has standards and he says, if you're single, it's okay to not have sex. In fact, I wanna tell you this, it's okay to be a virgin. I got married as a virgin. I saved myself for my wife. Am I ashamed of that? Do I feel less than? No, no, I feel great about that. But here's the truth. In this culture that is so supercharged about sex, You need to know it's okay if you're single. God says his standard for sex is wait. He's got something better for you. And then he talks to married people. He says, if you're married, he says, here's my standard for sex. It's real simple, okay? Because someone go, what does God expect for us in marriage? Listen, here's what he says. Have sex with your own spouse. Now think of how wide that is. Think of how broad that is. Because the world says, oh, if you're, if the myth is, oh, if you're married, sex is so limiting. If you're married and you follow God's, no, 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 no. God says, listen, I got one big standard for you, okay? Have sex with your own spouse. I mean, I say it this way. Sometimes you, if you're married, you don't even have to wait till Monday. Can I get an amen? But here's what we do. Sometimes we see God's sexual standards and we just kind of press against them. But I want to ask this question. What good are goals if there are no standards? You say, I got hashtag relationship goals. Well, what good are goals? It would be like you going to the Georgia-Auburn game this year and like right before the game starts, they come over the PA and they say, today, because we don't want people to feel limited, we've decided we're not going to keep score of the game. We're just going to let the players run around for a couple hours and the band play and the cheerleaders cheer, and they're just going to throw the ball around for a couple hours. How many of you would enjoy that game? No, you'd be like, dude, I'm out. What if they said, hey, we're not, we're not even, if you score one time, it's two points. Next time it's nine points. We'll let you know after you score. Listen, how do you know if you've even scored if you don't have a standard? God says, listen, I got sexual standards. And I want to tell you what they are. He says, hey, if you're married, this is it. But here's the struggle. We want to take the standard when we don't agree with it, and we want to rewrite it to benefit us. And Paul says you can't do that. You know what's crazy? In Genesis chapter 2, before God created woman for man, if you look there, the first thing God did before he created the relationship is he created the standard. He looked at a tree and he said, guys, he he looked at Adam, he said, you see that tree? Don't eat anything off that tree. And then he created a woman. God created the standard before he created the relationship. God has standards. And for, for you and us and myself to believe the myth that somehow that sex is limiting in marriage, God says, no, 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 that's not true. Let me give you the second myth. Marriage is too much work, 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 work to be worth it. 
Say it with me. Marriage is too much. I just wanted to hear y'all quote some Rihanna lyrics, okay? Some of y'all know exactly where I'm going with that. Because when it comes to marriage, sometimes you go, marriage is too much work, 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 work to ever be worth it. And that's a myth that sometimes we believe. Look what Paul said in verse three through five. He said, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. See the mutual submission there? He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Men, can I get an amen? Okay, and some of y'all go, where's that verse? I wanna memorize that, okay? In, In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. And look what he says in verse five. He's talking about sex here. He says, do not deprive each other except for perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, here's the myth that marriage is just way too much work for it to ever be worth it. And what's crazy is in those three verses, Paul says something pretty profound. We're going to struggle when we see the duty of the relationship as a job and not as a delight. That's our struggle. In fact, what happens is, is we would rather try to be fulfilled than to fulfill. And what happens is we put our own desires ahead of duty And what happens is we don't realize is that desires are a byproduct of duty. God wired us this way relationally in marriage. So you have a duty. If you're married here, you have a duty. You have a duty emotionally, spiritually, physically, even sexually to your spouse. But don't look at that duty as a job. Because when Paul said this word, here's basically what he was saying. Fulfillment comes from fulfilling. Some of you go, oh, I wish my spouse, I wish he was more this way. I wish she was more that way. Listen, fulfillment in the marriage relationship comes from fulfilling. Not from trying to put yourself first and being fulfilled first. If we will flip the script on that, it will totally, radically change every single marriage in this room. Fulfillment comes from fulfilling. You see, marriage doesn't work if we don't work at it. It just doesn't. Yes, it's work, but it doesn't have to be work, 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 work. But you gotta work at it. I mean, you have to come to it and say, what can I give to this relationship instead of what do I want from this relationship all the time? I kind of look at it like this. Some of you have been to a game before and you go, hey, I'm gonna get up and go to the concession stand. So you go to the concession stand and you look around and you see all the things they have to offer, but you certainly want the king-size Snicker bar, right? Because you have craved for two quarters the king-size Snicker bar. So you show up and of all the things you can choose, you choose what's going to satisfy you, right? And so you get that Snicker bar and you eat it. Listen, that's the problem with a lot of marriages. We're coming to it like a concession stand and God says, come to it like a communion table. Quit coming to it and going, oh, I don't want all that. I just want that. He says, come to it as a coming together. Because in verse four, he actually says this. He says, your bodies don't even belong to yourself. They belong to your spouse. And see, what's crazy about that is in those days, men saw their wives as property. Paul said, you can't even look at your wife and say, yeah, that's my property. 
He says you should look at your wife and say, no, that's my priority. And there's a big, big difference when you approach marriage. And then in verse 5, it's the, the verse that people want to talk about all the time, right? The sex passage where he says, and so, so Paul says this, he says, listen, and don't deprive each other of sex, but, but when you do, only let it be for a short amount of time. And we kind of look at that as limiting, like that's work, like that's negative. But what if you flip that script and you say, well, maybe Paul was saying, sex is going to be so amazing in marriage that every now and then you just need a break. I mean, I know I've looked at Tracy a few times and just said, baby, I, I just want you to admire not, not my body, but my brain. <laughs> I want you to love me for my feelings. <laughs> no, she didn't say that at all. <laughs> I think she's looked at me and laughed when I said that one time. Paul said sex can be so good that every now and then you just need to take a break because maybe you need to go get a drink or a Gatorade or something. He said, but when you're done taking a break, get back to it. So here's the way I say it. If you approach marriage, if you approach marriage from the right place, Paul says, your passion doesn't have to be deprived. And that's big for us. So he talks about this. Let me give you the third myth. I hear this one a lot. If my marriage is bad, I need a way out. I can't tell you the number of people that come to me and basically what they're looking for is they're looking for their, their, their one word or their one phrase that gives them the okay to leave their spouse. And it's crazy because whether you realize it or not, Paul talked about this right here. And look at verse 10. Look at what he says. He says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does... She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, now look what he says. He says the person is a believer, but they're married to a person who's not a believer. See, what was happening is in the church, people were coming to Christ day by day by day. And they were in a marriage relationship and they looked at their spouse who was an unbeliever and said, we are not right for each other because I'm now a Christian and you're not and so we must separate. Paul answers that. He says, has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him or with her, she must not divorce him. Look at verse 15. He goes a little bit deeper. He says, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And then he says this. This is the perplexing piece, verse 16. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Here's what Paul was saying. You're in a relationship that's bad. You're in a marriage that's bad. You go, oh, I'm a believer. She's not a believer. So, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. She's, what about this whole yoked deal? You know, I've got to let the yoke go and let her go. No, no, Paul's, Paul's very specific. Here's what he says. You need to seek a breakthrough, not a bailout. You need to seek a breakthrough, not a bailout. He says, how do you know that you won't end up being the one person that plays a factor in their life of coming to Christ. You see, I think this is the reason why a lot of marriages fail. 
Because we get into a relationship with someone and, and, and we're like, oh, you know, I love them. I want to be married to them. And then we get into the season of marriage where it gets difficult and we start asking for a bailout because we're looking for a way out instead of a breakthrough. In fact, we're not willing to ask God or wait for God to bring the breakthrough. So we're looking for someone who will say, hey, what's my way out? I want to tell you, Paul, Paul addressed that. He says, how do you know that by you remaining, even though they're not a believer, that they won't end up having their life radically changed? So I want to tell you, I want to give you a testimony today. I serve a God of breakthroughs. I serve a God of breakthroughs. In fact, I want to tell it to you this way. Every relationship in life needs breakthroughs. Not just bad marriages. Friendships need breakthroughs. Dating relationships need breakthroughs. Healthy marriages need breakthroughs. Parents need breakthroughs. Can I get an amen? You go, I'm going to break him through. Listen, guys. If you're only seeking a way out, you're looking for a bailout. But I serve a God of breakthroughs. It doesn't matter how bad your marriage is, how bad your friendship is. If you're only looking for a way out, God says, no, no, no. You don't understand. I am the God of breakthroughs. There is always hope, even when it is hopeless. Some of you are testimonies of that. Your marriage was on the rocks. Your marriage was at an end. And instead of running away, you ran to God. And God created a breakthrough. I want to tell you, in 25 years of marriage, Tracy and I have had some amazing breakthroughs in our marriage. We've had those moments, it's like, I can't divorce you, but I'm going to kill you. (laughs) I know y'all are too godly. You've never gone through that, your relationship. Divorce isn't an option, but death is. Okay, I'll come visit your grave. I'll put flowers on our anniversary. Guys, listen, it's a myth. In verse 24, he says this, brothers and sisters, each of you should be responsible to God, should remain, say it with me, remain in the situation they were in when God called them. God never says remove, he says remain. He says remain. So let's talk to the singles, all the single ladies, put your hands up. Okay. (laughs) Single ladies, okay. We're gonna talk about singleness. Because when you start talking about singles, people get freaked out too because here's the way singles think. Sometimes you think, oh my gosh, I'm in this status and I hate it. And some of you have been married before and some of you have never been married before and you have either baggage that comes along with it or you have belief that comes along with it. Like I'm single because something's wrong with me or I'm single because of my past or whatever. But just like I want to dispel the three myths about marriage, I want to dispel three myths about singleness. So if you have a pen, write this down. Marriage is the answer to all my romantic and sexual desires. All the married people are smiling. (laughs) Like, oh, he's setting them up bad. Yeah, I am. If you're single here today, one myth that our world believes is that marriage is the answer to all my romantic and sexual desires. And I want to tell you, if that was true, there would be no such thing as pornography or adultery. The truth is, there is no human being that can satisfy every desire you have in your life. I wish that were true. 
If that were true, I firmly believe God would have never sent his son Jesus Christ because he knew we needed more. And so if you're single here today, if you believe this, this myth, then, then you're, you're trying to find somebody who will fulfill that desire in your life. And so I kind of want to let the cat out of the bag here because men and women get married for different reasons. Men will get married for sex. Women get married for romance. They're wanting romance. And guys, they're just wanting sex. And you go, what? some of you ladies go, would a man really get married? Listen, they will. And that girl you're marrying, she'll get married for romance. And the problem with that is this. God designed us in such a way that we can only be fulfilled in a relationship with him. And so as great as it may seem, it's a myth that another human being can totally fulfill all of your desires. Let me give you the second myth. Marriage will bring final happiness and fulfillment to my life. Marriage will bring final happiness and fulfillment to my life. It's easy to fall in love with the idea of marriage. In fact, if we're not careful, we begin to idolize the idea of marriage and we lose, listen, we lose or distort our own singleness. We begin to look at it as somehow something's wrong with me or something's wrong with them or, you know, all this other deal. And, and, and so people say to me all the time, well, Sean, you don't understand. I'm single and I'm lonely. I get that. But I want to paint another picture of loneliness for you. A person that's stuck in a marriage that's so bad and they're married to someone and they're more alone than a single person ever dreamed of. I meet those people. I talk to people all the time that says, I wish my spouse wouldn't walk away from me and they're alone and they're married. And so although I understand the feeling that you have, the greater loneliness comes from a marriage that's tragically broken than from a status that says at this season of my life, I'm single. I'm single. In fact, Paul says it this way. Paul says marriage can actually create more problems. Some of you go, amen. More marriage, more problems, right? Look what he says in verse 28 of chapter 7. He says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Paul was single, so he was saying, listen, I wish that you were as I was, but if you're going to marry, you need to understand that troubles can come with the marriage relationship. So this idea that I'm going to be finally fulfilled if I move from single to marriage may not be true. Because that word troubles is the word tribulation. And what it means is it means to take two grapes and to squeeze them together, to grind them together until all the juice that's stuck in the middle of those grapes comes out. And that's why some of you who are married, your relationship is very juicy, okay? Because you got troubles, and it costs you to come together, and you're like this all the time. And so he says to the single people, he said, hey, listen, it may be more trouble to be married. You may not want to hear that, but the truth is it might be. Why is that true? Here's why. Because marriage is the most intense human relationship you will ever enter into. If you entered into marriage with this idea that it's going to make my life easier, you've gotten a reality check. Marriage could actually make your life harder. Is it great? It's amazing. But Paul said, you need to know this. 
It's very intense. That's why when some of you got married, God gave you this gift. Uh, it's like a mirror. It's called your spouse. And every day you look at your spouse and you look in the mirror and you see yourself. And you go, ah! Oh! And God says, I'm doing that on purpose because my ultimate goal is not for you to gratify all your desires. My ultimate goal is to make you holy. Marriage is awesome. But I want to tell you this too. Singleness is awesome as well. And it's great to be single. So I want, I want to tell you this. Some of you may not know this. Did you know marriage ends when you die? <laughs> some of you go, are you serious? No, I'm serious. Because some of us have this idea about marriage that when I get married, I'm going to be married for eternity. No, Jesus said this in Matthew twenty two thirty. He said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So some of you, you love your spouse like I love my wife. And we think when we get married, it's like, oh, we're going to be married in heaven. No, you're not going to be married in heaven. You say, are we going to be divorced in heaven? No, you're not going to be divorced. There'll just be no more marriage when you get to heaven. And for some of you, I can see in the back of your mind, you're like, amen, I want to go to heaven. Because <laughs> some of you think like heaven without your spouse would be heaven. And then some of you are like heaven without your spouse would be hell. We kind of fall on both sides of those fences. But, but Paul's very clear. He's like, hey, listen, th this doesn't last forever. So I want to tell you what can bring fulfillment from this myth. David said it in Psalm 1611. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your hand. Let me tell you, where is the fullness of joy? In God's presence. Not in a person. As awesome, smoking hot as my wife is, she will never be able to substitute or be better than the presence of God in my life. And God made it that way. So being single or being married will not always fulfill us, be the final fulfillment. The last myth is one we struggle with. Singleness is a disease instead of a gift. Like some of you probably went to the doctor and said, is there a cream for this? Can you get rid of my singleness? Can I have my singleness removed? <laughs> have you ever had a gift you didn't want? You got it at Christmas. Hey, I bought you a gift. You look at it and go, oh, I didn't want that gift, okay? Many times when it comes to singleness, we do the same thing. We go, oh, I don't want that gift of singleness. And so we begin to ask questions like this. Do I have the gift of singleness? Is that why I'm still single? <laughs> God, how do I know if I have the gift? How do I know? When will I know if I have the gift? Will I know when I'm 20? Will I know when I'm 25? Will I know when I'm 55? Hey, I've got the gift of singleness. Everybody look at my gift. <laughs> That's the problem with it. It's not a disease, it's a gift. I want to say it to you this way. Singleness is not a less than status. It's a more than opportunity. Paul tells us in verses 32 through 35, look what he says. He says, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Look what he says in verse 35, or verse 34. He says, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned. You see a common word in this concerned. 
about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And then verse 35, he says this. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So this myth that somehow singleness is a disease or a bad tattoo that I'm stuck with the rest of my life, God says, that's that's a myth. He said, I've given you singleness so that you don't have to be concerned about the wrong things or other things. You can be concerned about the right things. In your, it's an opportunity. It's not a less than status. It's an opportunity to chase God and chase the Lord. So here's the bad advice people say to us all the time. Okay, here's what advice says. God will bring you a spouse when you're ready. So we spend our lives trying to get ready. Like, am I ready yet? Am I ready yet? Am I ready yet? Am I pretty enough yet? That's advice. Remember we talked about advice versus truth? Here's what truth is. God will bring you a spouse when he's ready. See, here's what I've learned about marriage, about dating, about any relationship in life. God's timing is always perfect. Well, I wish God would hurry up. No, 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 you don't want him to hurry up. You're in a season of gifting where God's saying, right now, this is where I have you. And it's a more than opportunity to be completely sold out to him. What do I do for now? You live for him instead of a future spouse. In fact, I wrote this down this week. What we do while we wait will define what we do when the waiting's over. So if you're single here, you're like, man, I'm waiting. I know, I know. God's timing's best. So here's what I've learned. How you receive the gift determines what you do with it. Think about that. Have you ever gotten a gift and you go, man, I didn't realize this was the gift I was getting, but you realize I've got to receive this gift in the right way. Some of you are married. You're in the married status. Some of you are in the divorce status. Some of you are in the single status. Some of you are just confused. But I want to say to you, whatever status you're in, how you received the gift of that status will determine what you do with it. You see, your relationship goals determine how you receive the gift. If your relationship goals are bad, you're probably not going to receive the gift very well. But if they're good, you're probably going to do better at saying, hey, I'm married. My wife and my family is a gift. Or I'm single. My singleness at this season is a gift in my life. So here's the struggle. Don't apply the wrong goal to the wrong gift. If you're married, be married. If you're single, be single. And be okay with it because God says, hey, I'm okay with it. But there's a profound word he gives us and it's found in one verse in this whole passage. It's in verse seven. Look what he says. This is Paul. He said, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift. Everyone say own gift. Everyone has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. That word gift is the word charisma. When you translate it out, it's the word charisma. How many times have you seen someone who's just on fire and they're awesome and you would say, oh, he is so charismatic. She is so charismatic. They're just empowering. Here's what Paul said. He said, God has given you your own gift. Now think of that. God's giving you your own charisma. Here's what it means. Gift of grace. God has given each one of us our own gift of grace. 
And that grace is not like from the forgiveness sides of things, it's from the empowering side of things. Like some of you only think grace applies to forgiveness. Here, grace applies to God's empowerment into our life. It's kind of like someone saying, oh, he, he, he scored that touchdown and he did that so gracefully. Why? He was empowered. He's faster than everybody else. God looks at us and he says, hey, I've given you a gift and it's a gift of grace. And so what you do and how you receive that gift is gonna determine the goals you set. I wanna make this profound statement. If that's true, then you need to stop struggling with your status. Stop wrestling with the fact that you're single. Stop wrestling with the fact that you're married. Because God says, I'm giving you a gift of grace for the current relationship you're in. The greatest gift God ever gives us is his grace. In fact, I wanna say it to you this way, and this ought to set some of you free. God gives us grace that matches the gift. I've been married 25 years in less than two or three weeks. 25 years. How in the world did we survive that? All the good times, all the bad times, God gave me a gift of his grace. I'm not here because I'm smarter than anyone in talking about relationships. I'm just here because I'm telling you I have been an avid user of this grace in the gift of my marriage. And God always gives us the grace that matches the gift. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening to the Southcrest Church podcast. Don't forget, you can find more sermons on our website at southcrest.church. Visit us today and thanks for listening.